Welcome to the Spouse Selection Podcast. Episode 2. Rent. 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 That is the movie we are watching this episode. We are watching Rent, a movie which I have heard from both Aaron and my sister that I will probably hate. Mm-hmm. Probably. I'm very excited to hate this movie or, <laughs> or to subvert expectations and not hate Rent. I will be very, very shocked if you like it. I mean, some of the songs I think you'll like, but the overall story, I think you're going to just fucking hate it. Excellent. Um, I definitely look forward to hearing, um, to watching the movie and to hearing your summary of this movie. Should we say movie, musical? So, just to give some context for you and anyone else who may not know anything about Rent. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Rent was written in the 90s by a guy named Jonathan Larson. And believe it or not, he died uh, because of some aortic complication. I don't remember exactly what. Died, like, I think either the night before or a week before it was supposed to debut off Broadway. Wow. Yeah. Um, So, it ran on Broadway for many, many years. I don't believe it is on Broadway anymore. But in 2005, they said, hey, let's make this a movie. Which is what we're gonna watch. All right. So it, it's a it's a musical. It's a musical. Yes, it was in a musical adapted to the screen. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. And the director is Chris Columbus. The Explorer. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not not the Explorer. Discovered America in 1492. Made Rent in 2005. <laughs> Man of many talents, Chris Columbus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, no, what did he direct? Um, uh, crap. Home not, Alone. He directed Home Alone. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But he did not direct Three Ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. No. To the West Indies. No, he did not. Okay. Yeah. That's probably for the best. I'm sorry. So he's got a reputation that's not sort sullied by, you know, colonialism and all the legacies of Christopher Columbus's voyage. No, he just has a legacy of making a really terrible movie. Spoiler alert. You think it's terrible too? I, we'll hear my thoughts on it. Yeah, absolutely. When, when after we've viewed the movie. So, yeah. um, without further ado, then, let's get on with the summary. All right. So, I trolled pretty hard when I wrote this. Here's my summary. Gang of quote-unquote misfits, half of whom have AIDS, don't understand how lease agreements work and are going to sing about it for a while. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So That's they, my summary. So the movie Rent is actually about Rent. Correct. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Correct. Oh. It is about, well, not to spoil anything, but they're not going to pay. They're not going to pay the rent. Nice. Yep. So, yeah, we'll be back with some discussion about this, and uh, you'll get to hear Rich's thoughts and see what he thinks. Pay your rent. Pay, Yeah. That's the the logical answer, but this musical has another explanation for you. Fair enough. All right, so we'll be back after this. All right, so we are back. We have just finished watching the movie Rent, the musical (laughs) Rent. Wow. So, (laughs) I... I kind of have, like, mixed feelings, I guess. I don't know. Like, some parts of it I thought might even be 
some of the parts of it I thought were good, even bordering on like, like excellent, at least for their emotional content. And then other parts were just unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Right, so well, first off, like, let's break this down a little bit. So I did, I did take some notes. Obviously, first off, like let's, I think worth mentioning is that like New York City in the 1980s was like awful. Yeah, it was like way different than it is today. Oh yeah, I'd never been to New York City, but apparently, well yeah, because you had the crack epidemic, you mm-hmm. had the AIDS epidemic. I mean, it was just, I mean, Bertie Getz, the like, serial saw, killer on the subway. You see in the movie, like the amount of like. Like, homeless shelters, not homeless shelters, they're not, that's actually, like, that would be a solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. That there's no homeless shelters, there's just homeless people living in, like, tents on the street, and, yep. like, building fires and barrels. Yep. The main characters built fires and barrels. Correct. For heat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, not great. But this movie, first off, like, one of my first observations, like, a couple of them, um, this movie's as long as The Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. And also, the director is Chris Columbus. Yeah. And it's made by 1492 Pictures. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> God, Chris. <laughs> what are you doing, Chris? Listen, okay, you don't get to be named Chris Columbus and not take full advantage of that, I think. So, like, okay, another thing I noticed, and this is, like, completely not related to anything. Mm-hmm. Angel, in the very first scene... Um, before you even, like, know any of the characters, when they're all just singing 5,000 blah, blah, blah in minutes. Yeah. He's wearing a really sweet jacket that's, like, civil defense. It's got, like, a civil defense patch on it. Love it. Very cool jacket. Angel, I was, like, really excited for Angel as a character. And then I was completely and utterly disappointed later on in the movie. I will <laughs> well, say. to go back to that scene in mm-hmm. the beginning when they're singing Seasons of Love. Yeah. Um, that in the musical, it does not go there. It's not the opening number. Rent is the opening number. Um, okay. So that song actually comes more in the middle, like in the break between Act 1 and Act 2, because it's supposed to signify like that a year has gone by. I think that would fit better. Yeah. Well, that's why they end up singing it again, right, mm-hmm. where that break happens. Okay. But I think that originally they may have put that song in the beginning just so people would be familiar with like to capture people's attention with the song they already know sure um but yeah that song's not actually supposed to go there that song original to rent yes really yes interesting Mm -hmm. yeah even i had heard that song before but i knew nothing about rent but i do think that um i do think that would have been a better like stronger opening like more consistent to just like get them bitching about the rent basically yeah right out the gate that's how it is in the stage show so although like i would say like a lot of the focus is not is absolutely not on the rent like they basically are like we owe last year's rent we're not gonna pay last year's rent yeah fuck paying last year's rent we can't afford heat we can't afford anything and then they're not like conflicted about it. Like their their friend. The, I mean, we should we'll continue to talk about this more in the movie here, but or in the in the podcast here. But their friend owns the building and is like, "Hey, if uh, I'll give I'll cut you a deal if you get rid of this girl in her protest." <laughs> and they're like, "Fuck that guy." 
Yeah. And then he's like, okay, you can you can stay here for free because... Well, I feel like the rent is the determining factor because if, if Benny had chosen to just say, like, fuck all y'all people, I'm going to just call the cops and get you arrested because I'm evicting you and you're on my property, therefore you're trespassing. Them. Well, yeah. And then they were, like, squatting, which is a whole Yeah, other but there thing. were no, like... There was no intervention and like legal intervention for them being even on the property anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, Benny had all their stuff thrown out, and then Joanne, right? Angel broke the lock on the door. Yeah, Angel broke the lock on the door, but Joanne was like, "Well, like now that you're in here, you're squatters, so like you have yeah. all sorts of protections. So have fun, everybody." <laughs> and then that I think that was the play that ended up winning them. Benny coming back and be like, you I'll cut you a deal. And then Mark, I guess, paid him. Yeah. But then Mark quit his job later in the movie. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, Mark... We'll get to that. Like, whatever. Anyway, like, pretty cool apartment. Did it have holes in the ceiling? Was I correct in seeing holes in the ceiling? Yes. So it snows in their apartment? In theory, yes. So Benny's, like, a derelict landlord because... Like, he's their quote-unquote friend, but he's, like, a derelict landlord who, like, won't even, like, put a tarp. Like, I guess, no wonder yeah. the place is so damn cold. Yeah. I guess, Jesus. yeah. Jesus. But they were allowed to stay there for a year without paying rent. Mm-hmm. Without getting evicted. Which is, like, kind of generous. And that apartment is, like, super nice. Like Really cool apartment. If it has holes in the glass ceilings, it's... A very cool apartment. Extremely well. <laughs> cold. Extremely freezing. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. Mimi did not do it for me. No? Mimi's kind of fucked. How did you feel about it being Rosario? Okay, let, hang on. Let me back up a second. Because Rich did not realize who Rosario Dawson is. No idea. No clue. So, Rich and I are both huge fans of the Clerks saga. I guess you could if you call, want it, to call it. If that, that's yeah. what it's called. Um, and Rosario Dawson is in the second Clerks movie, so I thought that Rich was going to pick up on that immediately because we love that movie. But I had to remind him that that's who that was. Yeah, I had no idea, and she just didn't do it for me, honestly. Like that's fair. The like sexual tension song, like at the beginning with her and Roger, and I don't know. I thought like it was fine, but. Uh, Mimi is just like she's a little, little icky, you know. <laughs> she's icky. I I hate to say that, like to be honest with you. And then I wasn't ready for Angel to come in at all. Oh yeah, no. And like his very first like song, I like just wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for how like extra he was. Yeah, today for you started playing, and Rich just went what? <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was. That was something else. I will say that. I mean. <laughs> Talk about extra, but like that e- that introduction was really, really something else, and I was really on board with Angel. I thought Angel was going to be really cool, but then I found out that Angel is a dog killer. So now you explain that Evita, the the dog, Evita the Akita, wasn't not correct. Okay, so an Akita is a large dog, a fairly large dog. Mm-hmm. So. Did Angel physically, like, yeet the dog off of the balcony? No. No. 
No, she says in the song that the lady heard her drumming and was like, hey, this fucking dog won't stop barking. Maybe if you drum enough, it'll just bark itself to death and I won't have to worry about it anymore. I'll pay you a thousand dollars. And then Angel says, okay, sure. So she goes to this lady's apartment, which is at the Gracie Muse, which for those of you who don't know, the Gracie Muse is like a luxury condo building, I guess, apartment building. It's a luxury, it's, it's downtown, in downtown Manhattan, mm. I, I believe. And it's just like basically where all the rich fuckers live. Anyway, <laughs> um, so she goes to the Gracie Muse and, you know, plays on the balcony and the dog the theory works is that she the dog would, eats itself off the balcony. Yes, and, and yeah, dies. yeah, because she doesn't go physically into the apartment or the other condo of the house where the Akita is. I'm gonna go ahead and say that Angel is 100% culpable for the death of that beautiful dog. Oh, absolutely. Oh, she's absolutely culpable. That was we find out was Benny's father-in-law's like parent like in-laws dog. I'm unclear if it's his in-law's dog or if it's his wife's dog. It's unclear, but it's in the family. But it, they don't wild. say which part of the family. Absolutely wild. So, I don't know. I don't, like, have much sympathy for Angel the dog killer, I've got to say. It's a little That's bit fair. tough, but... Mm. That's fair. So, I, like, I was having a... I didn't really have, I guess, much trouble keeping up with how many people, like, all the different characters who, like... Did have AIDS, didn't have AIDS, but... Are you clear on that now? 100% clear. Okay. But, um, for a recap, it was Mark did not have AIDS, neither did, um, oh my god, Maureen. Mm-hmm. Neither did Joanna. Joanne. Joanne. Neither did Joanne. And then everybody else did, basically. Correct. Yep. Um, okay, yeah. So, like, the life support groups, I, like, Okay. So the life support group scenes, I thought, were some of the strongest scenes in the entire movie. Yeah. I thought that, like, and I think that's kind of what I mean when I say that this movie, for me, was really good and really bad at the same time. The life support group scenes, there was a lot of, like, thought. There's so much emotion. Like, I, I like, everyone who said I was going to hate this movie, I don't know, like... Like, well, there's a lot of emotion behind the scenes where these people are dealing with the fact that, like, their demise is imminent. Yeah. Ultimately. Well, I think something that works well in the movie that did not translate well in the stage show was that those scenes in the stage show are all sung. Mm-hmm. And I think having the just straight dialogue at the beginning when they're, you know, Gordon's talking about how his T-cells are low, I thought that that played better being just straight dialogue than being a song. I feel like it pulls you in. Yeah. Like, you, it pull, allows you to, like, because when they start saying about it, I mean, obviously, like, you're already in the emotional state where you're empathizing with the fact that these people are, like, in dire straits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, like, the songs there, for me, just felt a little bit more impactful than some of the other ones. Like, Maureen's stage show... I thought was the <laughs> complete opposite. It was like absolutely like grotesque and it's like meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. Like completely and utterly like bereft of meaning. Maureen as a character was like vapid and annoying and yeah, I, I don't want to ramble too much, but like no, seriously. I completely. So I used to, <clears throat> excuse me, I used to identify a lot with Maureen 
when I was younger. Really? And, yes. And now as an adult, I look back on that and I'm like, you know. And also, speaking as a bisexual woman, mm-hmm. she is the worst, like, role model, if you want to even call her that. She's the worst example of a bisexual in modern media that we have. She doesn't seem like very much of a sympathetic character at all. No, she's not. She's not. She has her terrible performance art. And she could, I mean, clearly her parents are loaded because you see them in the scene where they're at the engagement party and they're well-dressed and, you know, it's it's implied that they're well-off. I thought it was implied that Joanne's parents were well-off. Yeah, they are as well, but it's like also... Like, more so, though. Oh, I mean... I, they had nice sculpture at their engagement party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think, too, you know, Maureen... Maureen has no reason to live in squalor. Maureen could get, like, an actual job. I thought that was why she had left Mark. What do you mean? Initially, I thought Mark was just, Mark. Let, like, Maureen had left Mark, like, that, because Mark was basically, what, he was a filmmaker who, like, squatted in, a, in an apartment in New York City and did nothing, basically, all day. Yeah, but Maureen, all she, she doesn't have a job. She doesn't. She does her performance art. That's it. The only reason, and it's revealed later in the song "Take a Maureen." The reason she's with Joanne is because she cheated on Mark with Joanne. Yeah, but did Joanne like actually find out about that ever, or did she like he only he hallucinated that while he was unconscious on the ground? Ooh, you know what? Uh, I I think, I think he had the epiphany that like he. This is who so. he left. Or who left, who Maureen left him for. I don't think so. Only because that dream sequence in the Tango Maureen is only in the movie. In the stage show, all of that is played straight. Like, it's it happens in real time. Um, so I think based on that, it's the, the revelation or the Mark passes Joanne the information that Maureen cheated. Okay. That makes more sense. I just... I don't know. I didn't. I really didn't care for Maureen. I didn't like particularly like Mimi, but like Mimi's sympathetic, you know, blah blah blah. But Maureen, mm, that's a fair, really that's fair. pretty, really pretty awful in that stage show. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. What? That's quote unquote performance art. I was saying to you, I was saying to you that I was like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have a hard time shitting on this movie. Um. Yeah. Really, I I just was kind of concerned about that because I was enjoying the movie. There was a lot of sympathetic characters. Um, I wasn't expecting that stage show show <laughs> scene to do what it did. Yeah, literally when when uh, Over the Moon played the performance at Maureen's awful performance art, uh, Rich was sitting on the couch just mouth agape, just like looking on in horror at what was happening on the screen. It was great. I'm sorry. I just have. <laughs> notes here that just read moo with me in all caps <laughs> moo with me moo with me and she incites a riot by telling people to moo with her yep she gets down on her knees and looks up at the sky no she's not on her knees that's no? just the way that's just the camera angle okay so she's just like spreading her legs so you can see her knees clearly yeah she's like spread eagle and is looking up at the sky like, give me milk from your utter mighty cow. And I sucked the sweetest milk the sweetest I ever milk. tasted. Mmm, delicious. 
so what the heck? Okay. So I wrote Maureen sucks with three X's. <laughs> S-U-X-X-X. S-U-X-X-X. And then I just wrote gay community in the 80s, which I, I want to say is me taking a note of the fact that, like, the gay community in the 80s was, like, under duress as far as I understand it. Yeah. Like, the AIDS epidemic was huge. Like, there was so much misinformation out there about the AIDS epidemic, about, like, what would allow someone to catch it or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Had to clear my throat there. But anyway, the um, the gay community in the 80s, I just felt like I don't necessarily understand, like, very much about what went on back then. But, like, there was so much misinformation out there. And, like, you can tell there there's, I mean, there not there a scene in one of the life support group meetings as, like, the time is passing and you watch, like, one of the members, like, fades away completely yeah. because they just, like, I assume because they passed. Yeah. And yep. it, I don't know. For me, like, that that was the big thing that I got out of this movie is that, like, it really ranged from highs, like, that, like, all of that stuff I thought was very well handled mm-hmm. uh, as far as I, I and I, I, I'm, I don't know much, but I thought it was very well handled and, like, really respectfully treated. And then you have Maureen, like, on her knees, or not on her knees, I guess, but... Praising the cow. Yep. And getting milk from the sweetest milk she's ever had. So, wow. Yep. Um, you know, Benny evicts him. Yeah. He does evict him. Yes, he And does. I think that was... They had it coming. Benny is right in all aspects of everything. Benny's just trying to do what he thinks is the right thing. His friends are living in his building that he owns. Yeah. He's let them get away with that for a year. Well, let me just say this, too. Um, I, from experience, know how horrible of an experience it is to live with friends. I can't imagine being your friend's landlord. Yeah, definitely. Especially when, apparently, you have extremely different ideas about everything. Yeah. Compared to your friends. But, realistically, though, I mean, Benny has... I mean, assuming that he has a signed lease from Roger and Mark stating all the stipulations of their lease, what the rental agreement would be. However, if if there was a, you know, a clause in there about him waiving the rent for a year, then that way Roger and Mark would be in the right by staying there. But like, realistically, Benny could just take that lease to any judge and say, Hi, I evicted these people because they refused to pay me rent. I have no, and it, it's stipulated in the lease. Well, so it's, it's like pasted over though, because then um, Joanne is just like, "Well, they, you're squatting now, so you're protected. It's okay." Yeah, so then I never they really squat until that. they squat until Mark hands them a check. Yeah, and I guess three thousand dollars is enough to cover all their back rent for a year. Back for in nineteen ninety, yeah. For him and Roger. Back in nineteen ninety. In their sick apartment. Yeah. Interesting. In any case. Wait, I'm curious. What is $3,000 and $1990 as opposed to now? Hang on a minute. Yeah, you do it. I don't want to type. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Hang on a second. $1990. My keyboard's really clacky. Today. Okay, so. 
What do you got? Hang on a second. Wow. $3,000 in 1990 is worth worth $6,266.33 today. Wow. Yeah. Must snap. I mean, and assuming that average rent, I mean, we pay almost $1,000 for our apartment. So, assuming, oh no, that would only be six months. Never mind. People out there are listening and they're just like, $1,000 for your apartment? Jesus, what do you live in a box? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> um all right proceed i the engagement party mm-hmm. pretty unhinged yeah um i didn't realize that that was an engagement i did not realize that she <laughs> just was asking for her to be like hey can you please calm down and like commit to only pay attention to me and she was like i guess we're engaged to be married now I guess that sends the message that the only way Maureen would be able to be monogamous is if she were engaged or married. But even that, like, wasn't working for her. She decided that it was, like, too much. Yeah. Because. Well, and that's the thing. That's the the trope in, you know, in media. I mean, up until a few years ago, the common trope was, here's the bisexual who's just going to fuck everybody that comes into her path or his path. Whoa. I didn't even consider that. You think that, like, is that what oh, Maureen's character is? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Really? Yeah. Whoa, I didn't even, literally, I never once would have even considered the fact that she was just, like, a, like meant to be a stereotypical, like, quote-unquote stereotypical bisexual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, um, sorry, I just had to move Rich because he needs to talk at the mic more. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Um. But yeah, I I can't tell you, I mean, not a lot of people know this, but in the gay community itself, bisexuals get a lot of hate because there's that common stereotype, that trope of that. If you're bisexual, it means that you're attracted to every single person you come into contact with, which number one is fucking ridiculous. And number two is impossible. How can I come into or how can I be attracted to every single person I come into contact with? And it also there's this, you know, stereotype. I don't know if this is necessarily within the gay community, but just as in society as a whole, that bisexuals can't be in a monogamous relationship because it's too hard for them. Wow. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how many times that, like, you know, people, A, assume I'm just a straight female. Excuse me. And second, that because I'm with a man and married to a man, that that means I'm automatically straight. And that I, or that I've chosen a side. No, just because I'm with somebody, you know, I've chosen a life partner doesn't mean that I have chosen a side and that I'm not bisexual anymore. Yeah, you are who you are. Yeah. Anyway, sorry for that tangent, but. (laughs) No, no, definitely. The, um, wow, I didn't really, like, consider Maureen like that, though. That's why everyone who is a bisexual, for the most part, hates her character, at least nowadays. Really? Yeah. And we'll talk about why I think that is later, but anyway. Absolutely. Go ahead. Um, I just was, yeah, I was surprised. Um, surprised by that. But the the whole engagement party scene was so cringeworthy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're, like, yelling at each other about their... Was it more cringe than her awful performance art? In a different way. What do you mean? I mean, like, the performance art was just her, like, and 
doing whatever she does and kind of embarrassing herself. But, like, the engagement party was, like, a full-on, full-blown meltdown. Yeah, that's true. Where she was screaming about, like... You won't let me fuck people! Yeah, like, I want to be with... I'm going to be with somebody who's wearing a rubber suit at the kink party. (laughs) I want to stay late at the kink party. I want to pierce my nipples. Yeah, you wouldn't let me get my nipples pierced and... Joanne, you square. <laughs> God. All right, what do um, you got? Let's see here. <laughs> Chad Maureen's mom wants Mark back. What? Remember Maureen's oh, yeah. mom at the engagement party is like, well, does this mean that if their engagement's off, doesn't that mean like you guys can get back together? <laughs> it's like, that whoa, is my Maureen's line in the mom, get them. Ah. Uh. I wrote Chad Benny. I don't know why I wrote Chad Benny. But I think it was probably because Benny came through and was like, yo, fellas, you don't need to pay me. It's all good. Well, you had some thoughts about Benny being with Mimi. Yeah, I thought that was a little strange, to be honest with you. A little random out of nowhere. Um, I will also just say that I had kind of, not an epiphany, but a realization about the movie while I watched it, and mind you, I've watched this movie, God, at least Whoa. three dozen times. What? Does Benny have AIDS? No. No. Benny does not have AIDS. That's not the realization, though. The realization is that Mimi says to Roger that she and Benny had a thing two years ago. Okay. And Mimi's 19, which would have made her 17. Ooh. So, Loki, is Benny a pedophile? Yeah, yikes. That, I mean, that's... Assuming he's around the same age as the other characters who are in their mid-twenties. At least, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the other weird thing about this, is that... So they brought back the original cast from the Broadway show to, like, revive their characters. But those actors are not the age of those characters anymore. They're, like, in their late 30s, almost 40s. Yeah, but it's fine. I mean, it's just a little weird, but... But regardless, even just the thought of Benny being, let's say, 23 and dating a 17-year-old, that's kind of gross. 100% sus. Um, Yeah. Yeah, not for me. No. No. A little strange. Yeah. It just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Plus, uh, he's married? Like... Wait. Benny's married. Because his father-in-law... Is his investor. Oh, yeah. So he's cheating on his wife with Mimi. Ah. Oh. Yeah, he's also wearing his wedding ring the whole time. Wait a second. So if Benny's cheating on his wife with Mimi, I'm assuming they're having a sexual relationship. Most likely. So Benny, does Benny know that Mimi has HIV? I don't know. That's information we don't know. You gotta assume Benny's smart enough to wrap it up. Especially considering the fact that Mimi's a stripper. I mean, I know Tino Shade, but like... I would think I would think Benny was smart enough to wear a condom. Yeah, Benny didn't want to give his wife HIV. Yeah. I don't know. This is not this. By the no, way, this totally is not meant to be offensive movie. at all. I, I, I hope it's not. We're trying. I'm trying to be like. I just don't understand like yeah. very much about this stuff. But I do understand that HIV can be spread through sexual contact, right? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Sexual like uh, bodily fluids. Yeah. Um, in any case, 
huh, I really didn't consider the fact that Benny is, like, cheating on his wife with Mimi. Mimi. That's really, really something else. Yep. <sighs> so, Angel passes away from AIDS. And <laughs> oh, no, I see what you wrote. <laughs> I did write hashtag justice for Avita. <laughs> And that is maybe the most offensive thing. <laughs> no, you said the most offensive thing, which I will not repeat. <coughs> not on this podcast. I'm not going to repeat that. Well, I'm not anyway. trying to offend anybody. But anyway, <laughs> Angel dies. Yes. How do you feel? Sad. Well, yeah, sad. Extremely I mean, sad. It's it's much more of a sad moment in the stage show than it is in the movie, but it's still sad. How I did thought, you feel about it? I felt very, it was sad. I um, I thought it was a little funny that like Maureen was allowed to speak at his funeral. I thought that was funny. I thought like not a one person among them could scrounge up a collared shirt to wear to the funeral of their friend, <laughs> their like dear friend. I don't know. I thought that was a little funny, a little strange. Yeah, I didn't really think about that whole Maureen speaking at the funeral until you said something because yeah, that was kind of bizarre. I mean, they... There's no scenes where it's just Maureen and Angel having any kind of conversation at all. So yeah. are they just friends by association? It seems like it, because Angel only came into them into their lives, like, literally at, what, December 24th? A year ago, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's implied in the movie, and I think in the stage but show. But Angel passed away in October. Yeah, so it's not even a year. But regardless, it's implied that Mimi and Angel know each other beforehand. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but it's never... You never find out how. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, so I thought that was sad, but, you know, justice for Evita. He killed the dog, so <laughs> what goes around comes around, I guess. <laughs> That's very true. Um, pretty awful, but um, Roger left. He left, went to Santa Fe and hmm. then sold his car and then came back to New York City. Yeah. So he, really, he just went to Santa Fe to buy a guitar, a new guitar. <laughs> Yeah, we don't find out how much time has elapsed um, between him leaving for Santa Fe and then coming back. Seems like at least a few months, right? We don't know. Okay. But Mimi is passing out from her drug withdrawal, right? Well. What was going on there? It was a heroin withdrawal, right? Nah, it's more she didn't have her AZT and she was getting, I mean, she was literally dying from exposure. Oh. Yeah. She was just, like, sick. Yeah. Well, yeah, because oh. Rich Rich did not know this, and I guess I'll just say this for anyone else that is just kind of unclear as to what AIDS exactly does. So AIDS attacks your T cells, like your red blood cells, so that you can't fight off infection anymore. It lowers your immune system to the point where, like, a lot of people who die of AIDS-related illness die of, like, pneumonia, for example, because, you know, a lot of people can recover from pneumonia because their immune system helps to fight it off, but because people that are HIV, I'm not sure if it's HIV positive or if they have to be, like, they have to have the full AIDS. Regardless, it attacks your immune system so that you just can't fight off illness anymore. So Mimi living on the street, you know, it's December in New York City at the time. Literally freezing. Yeah, and she hasn't been eating, she hasn't been showering, she's exposing herself to, you know, any number of viruses, bacteria, Mm -hmm. so it's just exposure. Well, I thought Mimi was a goner, 
But she wasn't. <laughs> JK, Roger's terrible song saves her. Yeah, his song was pretty awful. <laughs> like, maybe the worst in the entire movie. I agree. I thought the best song was probably La Viva La Boheme. La Viva Wem? Yeah. Yeah. Viva La Boheme. <laughs> La Viva Liba Biba. Viva La Boheme, yeah. Um, I thought that was the strongest song in the movie. Um, just the most fun. Like. Oh, yeah. I love that song. That's probably my favorite song, too. Ah, this movie was all over the place emotionally. Yeah. Like, big time. Um, so, I guess, well, let me give a little bit of my, uh, because, uh, how do I want to say this? So, about halfway through the movie, Rich looked at me and was like, do you like this? Like, do you actually like this? And I said, I'm going to discuss this in the podcast so you'll find out later. So, um, this was one of my favorite musicals slash movies when I was in middle school to like the end of high school, I want to say. Um, I still liked it a lot in college, but I was not obsessed with it. It was just growing up in the environment that I did, um, you know, there were a lot of conservatives around, so I wasn't really exposed to like gay people or being different in that sense. Um, and this was kind of the, one of the first exposures I had to that. So that to me, like kind of gave me the feeling of acceptance in a way of like, I feel different sure. and you know, these people are also different and this is a medium that I can relate to and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. TBH. It wasn't really until I watched Lindsay Ellis's video about rent that my opinion changed because she brought up a lot of really good points. Like the fact that. Basically, everyone in the movie is a terrible person. And now as an adult, like, I don't, I, I can't. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't understand how you could live in an apartment like that and not pay any rent and think that that's okay. Okay. The only person I'm going to say, like, I guess they are kind of all, like, terrible people, but, like. Joanne like, is the only one that's not terrible. And Benny. Although, no, Benny's a terrible person, too. Benny kind of sucks, but, like, what is it? Um, Tom Collins. The worst thing he does in the entire movie is steal money out of an ATM. That's true. And, like, I'm not mad about that. That's kind of cool. You can hack an ATM. Like, go for it, buddy. Jesus. My yeah. God, it's 1990 and you're hacking an ATM? <laughs> he was an MIT. Ex he was expelled from MIT? Yep. My God. Yeah. The guy I mean, should nowadays, work for the CIA, but, like, whatever, dude, they wasted him, so now he's going to hack ATMs. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, he could be, like, a game developer or something with that kind of knowledge. And I don't think Mark is awful. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? What? How is Mark? What? What do you, what do you, let me hear your thoughts about Mark. Okay. I don't think Mark's awful. <sighs> awesome. Let's go. We have some thoughts here. Okay. So... Cool. For those of you listening that don't really know my background, I will just give you a little blurb. Um, so I went to an arts college when I went to college the first time around, and I went for music performance. And we had, obviously, music students, but we also had film students. We had photography students. We had animation students. So I, I guess... Uh, how do I say this? 
Why in the world Mark would quit a job working for assumingly something equivalent to like a BuzzFeed or I mean they say Buzz they're line. a news they they say they're a news show so maybe like I don't know like Entertainment Tonight or something like that being a a cameraman on a show like that you have to f- put your dues in to get to that point and he was making 3 grand a segment I mean, we looked it up. That's $6,000. And assuming he does a segment every week, that's what? 40 something? Sure. I can't do math. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that would be like 24, 24 grand a month. Yeah. And then that's insane. Tax. And that's insane. And for him to say, no, I'm just going to quit my well-paying job that I literally did nothing to get so that I can go make my horrible, like, whole movie about my friends. His movies suck. It fucking blows. It literally was awful. Yes. The only thing that was cool about it was that, like, they got to remember their friend Angel who died of AIDS. Yeah. Which is, like, wonderful that they got to remember Angel. But, like, that's Holy when you quit. Holy shit, was his movie garbage, though. Yeah. You quit your well-paying Angel's job for that? Angel's heaven crying, dude. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's the cynical part of my brain that's, like, all of us are only worth whatever we bring to the table financially. But, like, just knowing what I know now as an adult and living in the time that we do. And mind you, maybe it was different in the 90s, but I, I bet it wasn't that different overall. You need to pay your fucking rent. Like, and also, I mean, we never find out if they're college educated. I'm assuming maybe Mark is. Well, we know Tom is. We know Tom is, but I don't, I don't know if Mark is. I'm assuming... Probably, but Mark seems like a college educated, a college educated person. But I mean, for him to be able to, I, like, Dude, I don't what know. What the fuck it's, does Roger do? Nothing. Literally nothing. Nothing. Neither he's, does Mark, really. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, why would he? He's got this great opportunity in front of him, and not only that, but like networking and like you know, being in the entertainment industry nowadays is like grueling and fucking impossible. But. For him to just say, now nah, I'm going to leave and go do my shitty movie, it's like an insult to like those of us, not that I graduated from music school, I'm a fucking college dropout. Um, no, you're not. You're a college graduate. Well, I'm, I dropped off of music. I'm, I should reiterate, or I should rephrase. I'm a music school dropout. Um, but I did graduate from college. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, it's just an insult to those of us who have been there trying to like put our dues in and try and like build up to that point. And it's just an insult, in my opinion. I feel you. I don't know. I thought Mark was like maybe one of the more sympathetic characters, but Ugh. now that you give me that, I kind of feel the same way. Um, so Tom's really the only one that I like. I'm like, big thumbs up to Tom Collins. Yeah, and another thing about Mark that actually Lindsay Ellis brought up in her video too is that his parents call him and, and send him stuff and like want to talk to him and have a relationship with him and are willing to help him. And he keeps saying like, we live in squalor. Yeah, Mark, choice. Has, Mark has the option to go home. Yes. 100%. But he chooses to live in, yes. like, squalor. I'd rather just not pay my rent and see what happens than go For home. For the sake and, of my art. deal with Fuck my Fuck out of here. I feel you. It's just... His no. dad was hilarious. Like, oh, you see, your girl wants to go be a lesbian. Eh? Let her be a lesbian. <laughs> yeah, go let her be a lesbian, Marky. Don't, don't let it get there. <laughs> <laughs> like, alpha Chad father. Yeah. 100%. Alpha male. That's my favorite character. It's Mark's dad. No, my favorite character is the homeless woman who gets up in Mark's face and is like, "You gonna film me? Like you gonna using me as party in your in your little 
picture. And that's another thing. Like, how dare you? His behavior is never addressed again. No, but it was pretty cool that it was dressed. She, he was dressed down by her. She, yeah. She gave him the business. Yeah, but it didn't affect the. It didn't change his behavior didn't at all. Didn't affect anything. Like most of any everything in this plot didn't affect anything except for the fact that time passed and some people passed away from AIDS. That's true. Um. Yeah. Uh, I think we should probably get towards wrapping this show up, huh? Yeah. So, um, I'm going to ask you some trivia questions. Are Mm -hmm. you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. What is the first line of Seasons of Love? The first line? The first... (laughs) No, what's the lyric? I thought that was the lyric. That's the lyric, but what's the number? Oh. (laughs) 5,025,000... It's 500 something minutes. 500 something thousand minutes. 5,625 minutes. There you go. 5,025. 6, 4, 12. 4, 20 minutes. 4, 20, 69 minutes. There we go. Okay. Let's see. What is the name? Of Roger's ex-girlfriend who died. <laughs> I have no clue, Julia. <laughs> Wait, okay. It's funny you say that. You know, a side tangent, if I might. What when my mom was picking names for me, she said that her top two choices were Ashley and Julia. So I had the potential to be Julia Jeffords. <laughs> Whoa, giving out your last name on the podcast here. Oh, whatever. It's not my last name anymore. <laughs> In any case. Um, it's April. April, okay. Um, okay. Where do they want to go move to and open up a restaurant? Santa Fe. Hey! Okay. Um, what is the name of the strip club that Mimi works at? Cat's Meow. Close. Cat Scratch. Cat Scratch. Cat Scratch Damn. Club. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. I had one last one. Oh, okay. Um, what is the code that Collins uses to get into the ATM? Angel. Correct. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. A-N-G-E-L. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Collins. Yeah. So, what's your rating? So we're get, what was the scale we chose to use? Five five stars. So out of five stars? Yeah. Okay. I would give this one. Honestly. Honestly? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of thought. I want to give it, I'm going to give it, and I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give it a 3.0. So a three out of five? Three out of five. All right. That's a fair rating, I think. I feel like this movie was very inconsistent. It was all over the place. It Let me ask you this. Place. Would you have any interest in seeing the stage show? Yeah, I bet the stage show would be sweet. Okay. Because I feel like the person who created the premise for all of this, like, really had a, a hell of a vision in mind. Like, because this is they're just a very strange subset of people, a, like... It's an interesting choice to do, like, a two-hour production on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the group of people, like, the time period, it's all fascinating. And I feel like there's, like, 
there's snippets of incredible stories being told inside of Rent. But ultimately, Rent is like a hollow... Rent is not the, the right medium for AIDS activism. I don't know. I think the AIDS activism is the very strongest part. But it doesn't... But Okay, so here's my issue with it. Is that it doesn't... There's no, like... There's no real activism. It's just they have AIDS. That's that's it. There's no, like... Because, I mean, if you look at footage from, like, you know, the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, people were, Jeez. like, calling yeah, on their yes. Congress members to, like, you know, make me- medications well, more readily are, available. These people are as downtrodden as downtrodden gets for the most part. Yeah, but they could still... I mean, even some of the most downtrodden people... Now, you got to remember, too, that a lot of the people that were afflicted by AIDS were African-Americans... Uh, heroin addicts or IV drug users and homosexuals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, based on the fact that a lot of discrimination was still happening in the 80s based on those three groups, they were the most downtrodden. So, I mean, you have to kind of figure that those people that were rallying up and trying to, you know, change the laws and the policies regarding the AIDS epidemic were those people that were downtrodden. So, in order to, like, for me, rent just feels so, it's... I understand what they were going for because uh, Rent is based on La Boheme, which is a, an opera by Pacini. And in the opera, the character of Mimi has tuberculosis. So I get what they were going for. But at the same time, to give more than one character that kind of affliction, it was just like it didn't it didn't move the plot forward at all, in my opinion. It was just they were these people that had AIDS. That's it. See, but I think you're saying the plot didn't move forward, and I'm saying the plot, like, barely existed. Like, the best elements, like, like that's what I mean when I say the movie was completely, like, the movie or the stage, I don't know what the stage show would be different, but the movie was completely, like, incoherent in a lot of ways like yeah. that. Like, well, it would, it would range from Mimi, or I'm sorry, from Maureen standing and, and begging for the milk from the, the cow's titty, <laughs> to... A heartfelt, like, I feel incredibly good right now, actually, even though, like, I know that I'm, like, positive for, like, HIV and that, like, things are, like, gloomy. Like, I I feel really good. And it was, I don't know, for me, those parts of the movie were extremely well executed, thoughtfully well done. Well, the whole, the the main message of the stage show is that theme of no day of, or no day but today. Of, like, living for the moment and, you know, just living your well, best life. Well, I feel like life. they didn't really get that very much. No, it did not all. translate in the movie at all. In the stage show, it does, because it's much more cohesive. Shit was in- incoherent. Yeah, 100%. So, ultimately, I guess I would say that I did not hate this movie. I would have had to have rated it lower if I did hate this movie. Um, I thought it was a little con- inconsistent in parts, but ultimately, not awful. You've really, you've really turned me around on musicals, and like, I've liked all of the ones that I that I've watched with you so far. Yeah, this is really the first one you've watched that you've been kind of meh about. Yeah, and even then, like, I don't know. I wouldn't watch it again. I don't think I wouldn't like. I wouldn't want to really sit down and watch this again. What did you like better, The Greatest Showman or Rent? Greatest Showman by far. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, there was also like a lot more visual spectacle in The Greatest Showman. That's true. That's true. There was a lot more going on. But yeah, it was Greatest Showman was more fun. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really kind of like well, trying to watch movies that are going to make me like bummed out. Yeah. No, I so, agree. So, you know, 
Pretty well, I mean, I wasn't. I, I didn't. I didn't pick this movie to like piss you off or to like gain. No, I, we were interested reaction. to see what we were interested to see what I was going to think, and I yeah. thought I was. I was going into this expecting that I was going to hate it, and I would. I can firmly say that I did not hate it. It's just um, not your. It's not for you. No, not necessarily, but still, three out of five. I thought it was like a totally fine, totally fine movie, totally fine musical. If you're into that sort of thing, I promise my next pick will be something you'll like a lot more. Speaking of next picks, actually, my next pick for our next episode here is going to be Jaws. Ooh. Yeah, the classic, I think 1970, Steven Spielberg movie. Um, I just want to say right now, I, I understand that it is sad I have not seen Jaws, but please reserve your hate. I'm sorry, I just, I did, sharks don't interest me that much and I know it's a classic and that's why I'm going to watch it now. It's like you don't need to worry about it. Like you're but it's watching a classic. it. Classic. Yeah, and you're going to watch it and you're going to give us your thoughts. That's true. Right here on the uh, spouse, spouse selection, selection podcast. podcast. Woo! Woo! Um yeah, you're going to have to give us your unvarnished thoughts. Oh, absolutely. But I think you will like it. I genuinely do i don't anticipate not liking it only because people rave about it so much like if if so many people like it that much it has to be good i think it it is like especially in the 70s you have to figure this was that was a scary movie but you will you will get to find out for yourself are the effects gonna make me laugh like the terminator effects did they might oh hell yeah all right they might all right well that's gonna wrap us up for episode two yeah, thank you for joining us again on this episode of the Spouse Selection Podcast. Yeah, um, we're still in the works with getting Twitter and all that BS set up. Yeah, we're going to get an Apple Podcast set up as well. Um, yeah, we're lazy. <laughs> we have real life going on too, that's that's the thing. But um, thank you so much for joining us and we hope you'll join us on the next episode. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'm Rich. And I'm Aaron. And uh, thanks for joining us again. (laughs) Yes, stay tuned for the next one. Bye. Bye.